you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Well, howdy and welcome back to Prairie Justice, the Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Uh, This is probably a voice from the past that you may have remembered. Uh, You may remember me from such podcasts as Prairie Justice, the Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Yes, it has been a bit of a spell, uh, probably at least three months to my way of thinking. But you know what? Like uh, a man named Dave McIlvaney said to me last year, goes, you're not paid for this. You're not doing it on your for profit. It's not your job. And I do have a job and the job and my family and other pursuits do take precedence over this. Uh, Prairie Justice has always been a bit of a lark. I'm not a a broadcaster or any kind of a sound professional or a comics professional or even uh, an informed critic. I just know what I like and uh, I just felt that uh, Greg Sanders, the vigilante, needed a little love out there. And uh, I enjoy going back through these Golden Age um, shows on an index basis. And on an index basis, well, it'll probably be 116 years old before (laughs) we get to the end of 1954, let alone the 1970s. Speaking of that, I have not been totally voiceless on the pod waves. Uh, There's at least uh, three podcasts that you may have been able to hear me on, uh, giving uh, my, I don't know, expertise I'm doing air quotes on a podcast here uh, regarding vigilante or other matters. I've been I've done a couple of podcasts with Billy Dunleavy on his Monsters and Magazines where we reviewed uh, The White Buffalo, which was a lot of fun. I had never done a movie review on a podcast. And I also have a, uh, a episode coming up in Billy Dunleavy's near future. I'll leave him to do the scheduling. He has the... the the grounds for a, a good old Bob Heaney, uh, Brave and the Bold Bob uh, episode coming up. I've also uh, participated with the Earth 2 podcast, who did a, uh, a wonderful summer series on the um, masterful Len Wein and Dick Dillon uh, series within a series on Justice League of America. From 1972, that yes, it was number 100s through 102, and uh, David and Tom over on Earth 2 podcast uh, took it upon themselves to uh, recruit as many voices as they probably could to do the uh, oh the 40 odd characters uh, that appear in that uh, in that series, which of course was very instrumental to me in introducing me to the golden age of uh, DC characters and so many other DC characters uh, as well, and including a guy named Vigilante. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, It wasn't a great deal of effort on my part. I knocked a, a few of my lines out playing, guess what, the Vigilante. And then it was up to David and Tom to put all that together along with the many other people that they had recruited into uh, something that made sense. And it was wonderful. It was uh, 
my wife was helping listen to me and goes, uh, shouldn't you be reading this along with a comic? And I said, I don't have to. I remember this comic or these, this series of comics. Uh, like I remember an old rerun. It was just wonderful to hear. And uh, David, Tom have also been uh, doing another era of the vigilante as they go through their uh, multiverse uh, coverage and they are talking about the 1970 stories about the vigilante including um, his appearances in adventure comics and in world's finest comics and it has been fun to hear those as well because uh, I haven't taken upon myself to do much um, with the, the 1970s era of vigilante other than appearances with other people such as with uh, David and Tom and with Billy Dunleavy as well so hair on you guys uh, you can have the 1970s vigilante for a while and uh, of course I do remember that with fondness as well uh, I'm, I sort of remember that as also the era when there was a bit of a cowboy chic going on in popular culture McLeod was a very big part of the NBC mystery movies. Everybody talks about Columbo, but McLeod was my jam. And uh, you may have heard me use the McLeod theme song uh, from time to time on my promos and in other places. And finally, uh, I got back onto the Fire and Water Network uh, with uh, the amazing Chris Franklin and the very lovely Cindy Franklin on their JLU cast. Yes, that's right. We got up to the era of uh, of where the vigilante began to appear and have speaking lines and have a, a fairly good role within the uh, second season of the Justice League Unlimited TV series that was part of the Timverse that, of course, started with Batman, the animated universe, went on to... A Superman series and a, and of course a Justice League series and JLU was the the most fun of those series is just because they they took the DC universe and threw everything at the wall and I was happy to do help out on the uh, on the on Chris and Cindy's review of Hunter's Moon from that so it hasn't been a totally rangerless summer at least on the pod waves. On the news front, uh, I also haven't been keeping up with Justice Society of America. I did finish finally with Stargirl and The Lost Children on that. And uh, it wasn't awful. And I, I think it w really was a very good series. And, and to, to have so much nice, uh, how should you say, Easter eggs or love for the golden age. I thank Jeff Jones for that. Justice Society of America, uh, that series, which I understand may be canceled with issue 10. I think they're up at about issue 6 right now. It hasn't exactly left me standing around my Kindle waiting for the next issue, and that's probably the best thing I'm going to say about it. I Modern comics uh, just are not turning me on. They just seem to be a lot of art, which art, of course, is a part of comics, but uh, the story itself just seems to serve itself. It, it goes to serve the art, and there's just doesn't seem to be a lot of story there by the time you get to the end of the issue. And I'm just glad I'm not buying it on stands. I am buying it on Kindle and such. 
but I, I'm glad I'm not buying the hard copies purely because I don't know what I would do with all of those hard copies once I'm done because uh, I'm not sure they're ever going to be terribly valuable. And I've got enough of that in the house. Anyway, looking at you, DC, in the 2000s. So with that, I'm just going to strap in for another coverage of another Action Comics, this time from 1942, uh, Action Comics number 56, The Melody of Menace. And we'll get to that and our drama and our critique of, thereof right after this podcast promotional advertisement. I know it's heartbreaking to have your favorite shows preempted, but look what you're getting instead. Dale Ucast brings you Justice League Season 2. Back in business. The Justice League faces their greatest foe. This is a chance to rid ourselves of the League once and for all. Darkseid. Brainiac. Dr. Destiny. Lex Luthor. Amazo. Vandal Savage. Eclipso. The Joker. Harley Quinn. The Royal Flush Gang. The Secret Society of Supervillains. And themselves? Dale Ucast Season 2, available on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and at firewaterpodcast.com. Always have to be the hero, don't you? Right back at you. Okay, now for our intro to our vigilante comic and we are talking about action comics number 56 published by dc detective comics in the year of our lord uh, cover date january 1943 but uh, actually approximately on sale november 13th 1942 and of course it's a monthly comic book 10 cents it's going to cost you for whole 64 cents and your editor is Jack Schiff. And I believe we know Jack from uh, editing the Batman comics through the 1950s and into the 1960s before Julius Schwartz. So a long career going there. He's sort of the Mort Weisinger for the Batman comics. And our artist is John Sakella. I know nothing about him, but thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics... We know that he has had only 24 cover credits from 1942 to 1955, mostly on the Superman stable. Things like Action Comics, Superboy, Adventure Comics, uh, probably in the Superboy years. And uh, yeah, that's about it. His last appears April 28th, 1955. So um, I haven't delved very far here into John Sakella. But he does have a very workmanship style cover, very familiar to Wayne Boring. It's very dynamic as opposed to Joe Schuster's Superman and uh, much more muscle bound uh, than you would expect, say, from a Kurt Swan or a Schaffenberger. And the, uh, the blurb on the comic uh, is Superman battles to protect the world's uh, sorry, Mightiest Structures in Design for Doom. And Superman is smashing a couple of missiles that are headed towards the Great Pyramids at Giza with the Sphinx uh, down below. So whoever John Sakella is, he's got a really good eye for power and the cape flows right over top of the uh, Action Comics logo. 
and uh, good eye for perspective as well as you see the sand dunes, sand, sand dunes, as well as the Sphinx below. And of course, the, the pyramid looks pretty awesome too. And it's more than just a pyramid. He's actually drawn the, uh, the tiered brick uh, pyramids as they are, not just uh, take, taking rulers. Uh, there's a lot of detail in there. Uh, George Perez actually would be uh, would be proud of this. So it's too bad John Sakella didn't get to do more work. I'll have to take a look more of his covers. But for right now, I'm just going to take a look at what's inside this book. And of course, Vigilante's warm-up act. Superman is appearing in a design for doom. Uh-oh, I don't know if Professor Middleton's around. But it's a Jerry Siegel story, penciled by our cover artist John Sakella and inked by George Russo's, who we're going to see again very, very quickly. And apparently in this story, uh, Superman is preventing disasters from striking the Washington Monument, Mount Rushmore, the Statue of Liberty, and of course, as we see, the Great Pyramids of Giza. And the villain in this is a guy by the name of a mad architect named Emil Loring. Gosh, I hate it when architects go mad. But I hope I have successfully built up the suspense for that story. But as for the other features in this book, I have the three aces, and uh, this time they're out in the mid-Atlantic as the Warhawks of Greenland. Mr. America, good old Tex Thompson, he's uh, fighting the man the whole world feared. Congo Bill is playing the game for life. And Zatera, well, he's solving the case of the phony funny man. Now, if you came to this podcast to learn my factoids for uh, what is happening in November 1942, folks, just go to Wikipedia. Punch in November 1942. I'm not going to go through it for you on that. I just trying to streamline this podcast a little bit so when those interests let's just crank up the victrola put the needle down on a 78 and let's huddle up to the speaker to listen to a melody of menace the vigilante by martin jr and russo with him and hank hardness on the banjo and the vigilante himself on keyboards Stuff a pounds a melody of percussion on the heads of three gangsters who are forced into warbling the Chinatown Kid's favorite new song. Awesome Perkins for Sky High Stakes and some penny any. But the Ulster Campbell with the llamas pay the vigilante. When Stuff, the slang-slinging Chinatown kid, pours forth song, the raucous echoes tangle murderous gangsters and a dreamy old hobo together in one of the strangest crime plots on record. And once again, the rough-riding vigilante races along the justice trail, pitting western wits and weapons against hair-raising hazards as the guns of 
big city outlaws chant a melody of menace. To the professional singer, there are songs, and there are songs. And there evidently are some songs that might better never have been written, according to the Prairie Troubadour, Greg Saunders, when visiting his publisher. Where do you get your songwriter, Sanger? In the home for the feeble-minded? There isn't a good line or a decent melody in any of these ballads. Well, what of it, Greg? Anything would sound good the way you put it on the air. Famed on the radio, Greg Saunders can make any song popular or a song publisher prosperous almost overnight, but... But songs have to be good, too. You've been putting too many bad ones over on me, and I'm going to have to look elsewhere for my material. You're quitting? I'll have to go out of business. Well, I'm sorry, but I've got to think of my public. The people who like my singing will tune me right out of the broadcast channels if I go sour on them. Okay, if that's the way you feel... Also, that dude cowboy thinks he can walk out on me. Well, he'll find out Pete Sanger doesn't brush off so easily. There may be discord between Saunders and the song publisher, but there is none in the heart of stuff, the Chinatown kid, this bright sunny day. Unfortunately, a song in the heart doesn't guarantee grand opera quality in the vocal cords. The grass was burnt up by the sun, the water hole was dry. The thirsty cow hand took a chaw and murmured with a sigh. Nevertheless, Stuff does manage to make a favorable impression. Don't let me die on the prairie, don't let me lie in the sage. Take me to dear little Mary, there let me die of old age. What a song! Best I've heard since I left Wyoming. You think I'm good, P.T.? How about getting me a spot on the air? No, you got me wrong, partner. A coyote keodlin at the moon is a prima donna compared to you, but that song, however, it it's a wow. There you go, taking the heart right out of me. I was ambitious to get rich doing nothing, like you. Only now I'm discouraged. It's a good thing, but about this ballad, I don't think I've ever heard it before. Ah. Oh. A broken-down duffer down Chinatown way makes him up by the yard just for fun. And here I've been breaking my neck trying to find someone who can give me some surefire songs. Hey, where are we going? South of the boulevard, down Chinatown way. I want to see this broken-down old duffer you speak of. You mean you can pick somebody off the streets and make him a big shot just by singing one of his songs? If he can turn out more songs like that one, it'll be a cinch. 
There he is, plucking his old banjo. Hummin' Hank Harkness, they call him. Hummin' Hank doesn't look like much, but you never can tell. Hummin' Hank Harkness is lost in a dream of his own making. The cowboy laid him down to sleep beneath a starry sky. The soft wind over him seemed to weep a western lullaby. Suddenly... Didn't I tell you not to come around making that racket around my joint? Pardon my word, Biff, or Mr. Boulder, I, I forgot. Maybe this'll teach you to remember. <laughs> this is what you call a smash hit. Yeah, yeah, I sure you guess so. Smash hit. <laughs> My banjo. Why, that big ape, I'll teach him to beat up old men. Hold it. That's Biff Balder, the toughest mug in Chinatown, and leader of the toughest mob. What do I care how tough he is? You're the prairie troubadour, remember? The troubadour is a dude cowboy. He don't mix in no rough stuff like the vigilante. But Greg Sanders has encountered trouble too often not to be prepared at all times. I'm way ahead of you, Stuff. I brought the vigilante right along with me just in case. Now you're cooking with gas. A lightning change of costume occurs. One side, Stuff. A little action never hurt anybody. If it don't hurt Biff and his pals, I'm going to be discouraged. And the vigilante, mighty lawman from the land of the Purple Sage, steps forth to avenge an old man. What a calamity. I'll never be able to buy a new banjo. Inside Biff Balder's pool room. I reckon you'd better apologize to Hummin' Hank and buy him a new banjo, Biff. Huh? The vigilante? I don't apologize to anybody. Low bridge, Veg. Well, no hard feelings. Have a cigar. Ah! I don't like guns, chum. I will moiter ya. Come and get it. People with glass jars shouldn't throw eight balls. I'll play one of you in the side and one in the corner pocket. I feel like a little music. Stuff, bring Tom and Hank in here, okay? Coming up. Where sounds of strife echoed, a cracked voice quavers through the simple melody of homely ballads. There's a man in the west with a star on his vest who is host of the best house in town. Corny, but I've heard worse. In his calaboose cell, you will sleep very well and remain quite a spell, I'll be bound. Stuff, you've shown the prairie troubadour exactly what he's looking for. A great song, wasn't it, boys? Yeah, sure, I, I guess so. Thank you, gentlemen. 
a most appreciative audience. You've got the real touch, Hank. It's easy to see you were raised in the West. Me? Upon my word, sir, I've never been farther west than Harrisburg. <laughs> That's one on you, Vidge. It doesn't matter. Take this and buy yourself a new banjo and some clothes and get a shave. Than I've seen since I took up hoboing forty years ago. There'll be more if you call on the yeah, prayer the troubadour and tell him I sent you. Earl sent the prairie troubadour. One of his Why he's famous. We'll Do you really think he'd be interested in my songs? So it is that Hummin' Hank Harkness, after a lifetime of carefree poverty, decides in his old age that he may try to amount to something after all. That's a second-hand seersucker suit, but it's as good as new. Just think of it. The prairie troubadour singing my songs. Why, he may even pay me enough so I can rent a room and not have to sleep in the park. In the days that follow, the prairie troubadour makes radio history. And now we present that cowboy crooner, Greg Saunders, the prairie troubadour, in another new ballad filled with the flavor of the Old West. The latest song written by Hummin' Hank Harkness. They took the poor old hoss thief and hung him to a tree. It was a weeping willow, don't cry no more for me. The prairie troubadour may sing ballads of the Old West, but he certainly gives me a new feeling. I hear his songs are breaking old records. Yes, and he credits an ex-hobo for writing his hit songs. There's good news, Greg. Your sponsor is renewing his contract at twice last year's figure. And it's mostly due to Hum and Hank. What you waiting for? Why don't you tie Hum and Hank up with the contract? I want him to get the best possible break stuff. Song publishers will start bidding for his work any day, and he'll be able to take the highest offer. Unfortunately, the first song publisher to bid for Hummin' Hank's services is the brand new firm of Biff Balder, Incorporated. Pardon my soul, Biff. I don't want any more trouble with you. Leave me alone. You got me wrong, Harkness. I'm sorry I slugged you. And I want to do you a favor. You mean all I have to do is sign my name and you'll give me $15 every week? And a week's pay every Christmas. Nobody can say I'm not a big-hearted guy. But when the contract has been duly signed and witnessed... Ho, ho, ho. He fell for it like a ton of bricks. That same evening... Good news, Hank. I've been in touch with the song publisher who wants to sign you up at a thousand a week, plus a share in the profits. Gracious sakes, did you did you say a thousand a week? But I've already signed up with Biff Boulder. He's paying me fifteen dollars a week. What? That hombre has pulled a fast one on you. We're going to visit him right now. 
But the prairie troubadour is one cowboy for whom Biff Balder has little respect. The contract's signed and you can't do nothing about it, see? And if you don't like it, don't come pesterin' me. Talk to Pete Sanger. Sanger? I might have guessed that he was in the picture somewhere. And the crooked publisher Sanger, while less crowed, is just as firm. No use talking, Gray. Either you promote my stuff exclusively, whether you think it's good or bad, or I'll turn Hank's songs over to some other cowboy singer. I won't be a party to such fraud. And you won't have anyone else singing my songs, either, because I'm not gonna write anymore. Oh, wait a minute. You signed a contract. I can't keep Greg Saunders from walking out, but maybe I can make Hum and Hank change his mind about earning that 15 a week. That evening, as Hum and Hank nears his humble lodgings... This won't hurt a bit. <laughs> oh! Now get him in the car, quick! Within an hour, the Chinatown kid hears of the abduction by way of the neighborhood grapevine. These breathless eyes saw it all while it was happening, Elder Brother Stuff. Thanks, Ling. If only these gums of mine had seen it, you'd have a different story to tell. Now I gotta tip off the vidge. Still later, the sputtering roar of a hard-driven motorcycle echoes through the narrow, twisted streets. You haven't any idea where Biff might have taken the old fellow? There's a million hideouts in Chinatown, and under it. We'll leave the gas buggy here and go a-listening. Listening? That's a new one. Meanwhile, in a shabby flat at the edge of Chinatown... Oh, we fold around long enough. And if he doesn't start figuring out a song by the time I count to ten... Plug him. My trigger finger's itching. One, two, three, four, five... Save your breath, Sanger. I'll do it to save my life, but my heart won't be in it. Roaming over the mountains, roving over the plains. Me, I like swing. The mournful strains of the song drift through the night and... That's Hank. I'd know his songs anywhere. They've got him up in that flat. But this ain't the right building. That's what you think. Wait and see. A writhing noose cast with uncanny skill hisses through the air. Climb aboard, Stuff. We're gonna feel silly if we bust into the wrong apartment. Meanwhile... I wouldn't be a cowboy if I had any brains. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem up to your usual standard. Suddenly... The Vigilante! Oh, get him this time. Oh. 
eggs within 10 miles, they'll come a-running. This is known as the Wham Bam Blues. And this will be the proudest moment of my life. Hubbin Hank sacrifices his most precious possession. Not this time, mister. Oh, my soul, I went and ruined another banjo. Forget it, Hank. There's more where that come from. Pete Sanger is too fat to fight, but a cowardly blow from behind is not fighting. Huh? I'll have to sprout wings to save his neck this Whoa. time. Bitch! You dirty killer. I'll beat you to a pulp. I'll... Oh. Grab him, somebody! In memory of the vigilante! But the combined efforts of a boy and an oldster are not enough to overcome a room full of tough gangsters. And in a matter of moments, they are overcome. Forget the songs. We'll have to bump off both of them to keep them from telling what we did to the vigilante. I'm the boy to do it. The vigilante is far from dead, however, thanks to the scaffold used by sandblasters to clean the grimy walls of the building. Was I lucky landing on this scaffold and the sand used by the sandblasters? What? What's this? Sandblasting equipment. And I think I know just what to use it for. Second from now and they won't be able to see me for dust. Within the apartment. Curtains for you, kid. Hey, hey what's happening? <coughs> hey, this is better than a Tommy gun. Oh. <coughs> we surrender. Finally. But they still got my name on that contract. They can sue you after they've finished serving prison terms for kidnapping and attempted murder. Oh, about 50 years from now. The following day, Hummin Hank invites his friends to help him celebrate a new song, a new banjo, and a new thousand-dollar-a-week job. Oh, some play games for sky high stakes and some play penny and ease. But those who gamble with the law must pay the vigilante. I wonder why the vigilante didn't show up for my party after I wrote that song just for him. That's easy. He's bashful. But when it comes to riding hard on hoodlums, the vigilante is far from bashful as he proves once again in a rip-roaring adventure in the next issue of Action Comics. And now, welcome to Greg Sanders Rodeo Radio. And I'm having a bit of a debate on the future of this uh, department for reasons I have probably discussed uh, before the drama. I don't want to receive any copyright strikes, but... I often think in a in a show that's about a a superhero that is a singer that does have uh, 
you know, our ties to country music and such and into history uh, the way I am and the way I am into also a fan of musical history that I, I really always feel that we should hear something. Uh, so I'm going to keep it on the down low for a little bit while I'm not going to advertise too much that I we do this but uh, if uh, if the department suddenly does disappear you'll know that I've probably received uh, that yellow email but today I'm going to do something a little bit different uh, just to get away from uh, the awful music that you've had to hear through this drama I'm going to uh, introduce to you a lady that you either haven't heard of or that you may have forgotten about and that woman's name is Buffy St. Marie now as I compose this today uh, we are on the weekend in Canada of September 29th which is a national holiday designated as Truth and Reconciliation Day and what that means it's a uh, a day for us to sit back and realize Canada's and the settlers of Canada's relationship with their indigenous original people and also to memorize or memorialize I should say the over 10,000 that we know of young children who went to school under an assimilationist policy of the Canadian government and did not come home to their parents. They died at that school, either of abuse or neglect or um, just bad care, and sometimes uh, sexual abuse as well. And there are many survivors amongst our Indigenous people today who have the trauma of those schools. This just didn't happen for a few years. This happened over a period of, a, of more than a century and uh, Canadians are coming to terms with that and Truth and Reconciliation Day uh, it's only uh, been a holiday for two or three years at this point in time here in uh, 2023 but it is uh, something that we bring up sort of as a sort of like the way we memorialize our fighting veterans on Remembrance Day as well uh, Buffy St. Marie was a survivor of those residential schools, but uh, it certainly never held her back. She, uh, you probably know her from her writing of a song for Elvis Presley called Until It's Time For You To Go, which she also recorded herself. And she was probably best known for her Oscar-winning song called Up Where We Belong, from the motion picture An Officer and a Gentleman uh, from the early 1980s and it was performed in that uh, motion picture by Jennifer Warrens and Joe Cocker. Uh, and she also does a dynamite version of that herself. Uh, the song I'm going to play for you though is very indicative of her own indigenous uh, upbringing and roots as, a, as an indigenous woman from Canada. Uh, she was raised on the in the Capel Valley of the province of Saskatchewan of course went on as a folk singer in the tradition of our Ian Tyson Gordon Lightfoot Joni Mitchell and so many others and I think in many ways she, she has been more successful because she has been a very diverse 
in her activities uh, as an artist, a visual artist, uh, anybody that grew up in Ses watching Sesame Street in the 1970s or 80s may remember her bits that she filmed from her home in Hawaii uh, along with her children as well. So she was a, an educator along with that. Uh, this year, uh, she is well into her 80s and she has announced her retirement from touring and recording. But uh, probably the song that I will always think about when you hear the words Buffy St. Marie is this one. So in honor of Truth and Reconciliation in Canada, here is Starwalker. For my commentary on this vigilante story. First of all, I'd like to say that you may have noticed something on the drama 
and it may have irritated you or maybe it's something new. I'm trying to wean myself away from too much copyrighted material on the show just for obvious reasons. Nobody wants that letter at the door. Nobody wants that uh, that yellow envelope handed to you by a process server or even that bad email. So there are some tools. I compose this uh, podcast on GarageBand, which is a Mac tool. I have used uh, Audacity in the past. I don't enjoy it much. Uh, GarageBand I have gotten used to. GarageBand is mostly a tool for if you're a, a, a musical composer or a band or just just for making your own tunes uh, without the benefit of a recording studio when it's very much set up like that. And there are some tools there to utilize uh, if you uh, need some accompaniment here and there. Now, I'm not a musician, so this is very interesting. I mean, I could pull that musty old guitar out of the corner and play that one chord that I probably know or I'll utilize GarageBand. It's a lot more fun, and I can listen to other podcasts while I do it. Uh, but I do. Uh, I am using my own singing voice, and uh, I don't believe anybody will ever come at me for that, or for a contract, or for a copyright strike. I, I as as a kid, I used to sing a lot. You know, when you were around the farm, that sort of a thing. You're very lonely. You sing songs off the radio and sings songs along with it uh, but I am nowhere near a musician I, I I find people that can do that incredible I do have some very very close friends who are musicians and uh, frankly I don't know how to do that so utilizing GarageBand I have uh, worked with the the musical parts of this that, uh, interf- that come into this story and I'll, uh, I hope that you somewhat enjoy the, the, uh, the results. And I h- hope you, you can be critical if you want. If you'd rather I did something else or found a professional, then, uh, you know, let me know. Now, one of the reasons that I, we have so much music in here goes to one of the plans for how Weisinger and Morton ever set up the vigilante in the first place and his secret identity. And that was a bold move because he is a singer. He is a popular singer. So how do you portray that secret identity when you're basically a comic book narrative writer and an artist? And uh, writing songs and writing a narrative, especially for a comic book, is an entirely different muscle. I'm a writer myself. I write narrative nonfiction of, of history. But uh, for me to sit down and actually write a song, I find it very, very difficult. And I, I just, I, I don't know how I would ever set it to music myself. So, it's like I said, it's an entirely different muscle. And this is often evidenced when uh, comic book writers do portray musicians in comics and sometimes the uh, the lyrics don't make any sense whatsoever they follow no kind of a rhythm and you just sit there going well 
this guy may be a good writer, but uh, he knows nothing about music. I believe who is ever writing this story, and again, could be Weisinger, could be uh, Mort uh, Meskin. We don't know. We just don't have these records. Um, has put together at least one tune here that will withstand uh, the test of time, at least through the Vigilante series as it goes through the 1940s and 1950s. And there's a, a song in here um, about paying the vigilante. And we'll see that from time to time to time in other vigilante episodes. Now, he, in this episode, um, Vigilante teams up with the man who looks a lot like Billy Gunn, but he's got a different talent. He's essentially what they used to call the hobo. Today you'd call that a homeless man or an unhomed man. The terminology keeps changing. They used the word hobo here in the 1940s because that's the way it was. And a hobo was essentially somebody who did not have a home, but that did mean he didn't work. They uh, would do odd jobs for pay or for food and sometimes would travel from place to place. And Humming Hank Harkness is our hobo uh, who does have a bit of a talent. He's got a lot of time to spend with his banjo, and he does come up with things. And uh, the story is all about how Greg Saunders helps Hank out with this. So on our splash page, we start out with music. And I guess the one way you can show music um, of course, you've got musical notes off to the side, and usually that's just a random thing. Um, I don't read music, so I have no way of knowing um, whether the notes here accompany the lines, and it just doesn't matter. But And you also have the visuals of musical instruments themselves. And in this splash page, uh, we have the vigilante playing a grand piano. So I'm not sure that's anything that we have seen before. And I don't recall if we'll see it again. And, of course, we have Hum and Hank and his uh, banjo, as I said. And Stuff himself is playing percussion, but he's not using any drums. He's using the heads of three gangsters who are singing what is going to become the Vigilante's theme song as written by Hum and Hank Harkness. So that's an interesting visual that Meskin has given us on the front. Of course, doesn't appear as in the story as this is, but the, these splash pages are always meant to be symbolic, and Meskin was great for, for the symbolism. So we open with uh, Greg Sanders having a bit of a tiff with uh, Sanger. The man's name is Pete Sanger, who is his news pub or his music publisher. And apparently Greg doesn't write his own songs. Sanger is responsible for filtering uh, songs from existing songwriters and, and getting them to him. And uh, Greg is not happy with the material he's getting. So they're having a bit of an argument. And we're backed out on the street. And of all people who is uh, turning into a bit of a music, Musician, sorry, there's a little stutter there in the line. Stuff 
the Chinatown kid, who of course Vidya's sidekick, who by now is also helping to keep Greg Saunders' identity a secret, and helping them out in his adventures. And he's humming and whistling a few tunes that he has learned on the street, and uh, which Greg seems to be impressed by. He seems to like these songs. So they decide they're going to track him down, and of course they track down the uh, very badly dressed and disheveled Mr. Hum and Hank Harkness. Now, Hum and Hank does not have one fan, and that's a hood named Balder, who has a, a storefront that doesn't say what kind of a store it is, probably a pool hall or something, or a bar or something like that. And uh, Balder evicts Harkness from his storefront um, with his fists and by taking his banjo, probably one of the few things he has in the world, and literally bashing it over his head. Um, Greg Saunders sees this, and uh, stuff prevents him from, hey, 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 Greg, you can't get involved. Uh, that's Balder. He's a, a very t uh, one of the toughest mob leaders here in Chinatown. And uh, if you're going to do this, you better get your vigilante togs on because you don't want Greg Saunders, the Prairie Troubadour, having a brawl on the street. So Greg uh, does accommodate, heads into uh Biff Balder's pool room and a Donnybrook ensues. Vigilante and stuff, of course, are triumphant. But what about Hum and Hank? Well, Vigilante, without uh, dropping his, uh, his, his scarf or his disguise, convinces Hum and Hank to uh, go get himself a suit, get, get cleaned up, um, I'm going to help you get your music published. And I think I know a man called the Prairie Troubadour who might buy some of your songs. So Greg is in the radio station and they find that uh, Hum and Hank's songs, uh, which are basically Western songs, uh, your generic Cowboys type tunes, are all the rage. Someone else has become uh, a bit of a fan of Hum and Hank's tunes as well, and that's Biff Balder and Pete Sanger. Turns out that they are in cahoots. The music publisher and the, the street hood with the, a pool hall. Now, through Biff acting as agent, Hum and Hank accepts a contract for $15 a week, not really understanding anything about the music business. And I think a lot of young musicians get started this way, signing contracts that are essentially deals with the devil. Hello, Colonel Tom Parker. Now, of course, Greg Saunders, the seasoned musician, knows this is a complete ripoff because he has already gotten Harkness a contract, a better, much better contract. But uh, there is no way Biff Balder's going to let him out of it. And poor Hank takes another beating on the street. Now, this is witnessed by somebody that Stuff knows. And it turns out Stuff has a brother. Now, this is significant. And I don't know if anybody ever actually came back to this story and made a note from it. 
Stuff talks to his brother Ling. So that would mean his name was Ling Leong. Uh, no editorial problems here, right? Now spoilers for a couple of comics published first in 1977 and another comic published around 1994. The stuff that we know and love is killed twice. Once pre-crisis, once post-crisis. In the pre-crisis version from World's Finest from 1977, stuff is avenged by his son, who has never named. Now, in the post-crisis, we meet... Or in the post-crisis, stuff is killed in the Prairie Justice miniseries around about 1947. Now, if you go spoilers to another comic that was published around 1989-90 called El Diablo, the modern El Diablo meets an aged paunchy Greg Saunders who runs a restaurant and his business partner or manager is a Victor Leong who is stuff. Now, that master of retroactive continuity, Jeff Johns, takes this up again in the Stargirl miniseries where he reveals that uh, the stuff killed in the 1940s was avenged and was replaced by his brother, Victor. Danny Leong was killed in Prairie Justice and in retroactive continuity... His brother Victor is a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Remember, this is the post-crisis Seven Soldiers that doesn't have Green Arrow and Speedy. Uh, don't set me down that rabbit hole. At any rate, this is a confirmation that stuff does indeed have a brother. Danny Leong has Victor Ling Leong, or Ling Victor Leong. He's called Ling in this story, Victor, many, many years later in the 1990s. So we have a, a bit of a vigilante continuity push here, even though we probably never knew it at the time. Now, back here to 1942, Vidge and stuff are on their gas-eating Bronco, and they manage to come across the strains of humming Hank's banjo as he is literally at gunpoint point being forced by Sanger and Biff Balder to come up with new songs. I wonder if country singer Johnny Paycheck ever used that tactic. He was known to wave a gun around from time to time. But, of course, Vidge and stuff interrupt the way they do through a crashing window. And there's the usual fighty fight McFeitzenstein, trademark Andrew Leyland, and uh, even Hank gets into the uh, the fray and uh, managed to bash his new banjo again, which he is very, very sorry for. Sanger, the overstuffed uh, music publisher, manages to whack a chair over top of Vigilante's head and toss him out a window, of course, which sends stuff to, in <laughs> this is maybe where stuff gets his name from, beat the stuffing out of Sanger. And Henshaw is just going great guns. He's swinging that uh, banjo around 
the way Davy Crockett swings it at the Disney Alamo. But it turns out, don't cry for the vigilante. Don't sing no laments because he has hit a scaffold full of sandbags. Turns out that uh, some workmen have left one of these hanging scaffolds that you were very similar to what window washers use on skyscrapers, and they have been sandblasting the side of this building. And of course, they have left their air compressor and their sandblasting unit. So Greg Sanders, <laughs> get it there, Greg Sanders, becomes the Sandman. He, uh, of course, uh, I won't say he uses his spurs, Dave McElvaney, but there he is climbing up in eaves troughs with this sandblasting unit. And he finally, vigilante in his own strip, draws a gun. But of course, it is that sandblasting gun. So that takes out uh, Sanger and Balder very, very quickly. And at the end, we get a new song from Hum and Hank Hangshaw, which is the very first same tune that we saw, heard, read on the splash page. And that is, oh, some play for high sky high stakes, some play penny ante, but those who gamble with the law must pay the vigilante. And that is now a sound bite in my files. And it's going to come up again from time to time. You're warned. Hum and Hank has a new contract, and he celebrates with Greg Sanders and stuff singing in harmony. But he still doesn't know where the vigilante is. And of course, stuff gives us this a uh, bit of a of a turn that says, "Ah, he's just bashful." As Greg turns and looks at us, off off past the fourth wall, not quite a George Reeves wink, but in that vein. Some play games for sky high stakes And some play penny any But those who gamble with the law Must pay the vigilante Okay, folks, time for some feedback. And today we're going to be talking about Prairie Justice, episode 43, which was the story, Bullets for Breakfast. So our first letter is from our old pal, Dave McElvaney. Greetings, Ranger Gord. A fine rendering of a fine vigilante story. Of course, Vidge didn't need to use his amazing spurs in this one. He did quite well against a racketeer and his thugs and maybe some unwitting rodeo stars, simply by being better than they were. Stronger, more skilled, and having justice on his side. But we can rebuild him. Oh, sorry, sorry. Back to Dave. You said that we've all seen this story. That's because it's a good, basic story well told. We've all seen the story of the Odyssey before, or Noah's Ark, or Robin Hood, or any number of stories that are told retold and updated because they're good stories for every new generation and we like to hear them more than once everyone who's ever read a good story to a little kid has heard again i'm sure 
I felt for stuff as he worried that June might take his place as Greg's best friend. While he may have worried that romance might be the cause, stuff did note that June was good-looking. It could have been simply youthful insecurity. Many comics book stories have this element, too. As a boy, I read many stories in which Robin was sometimes upset that Batman seemed to have found a new sidekick, or Jimmy Olsen would be on the outs with Superman, or in World's Finest, either Superman or Batman would sometimes worry that they were being replaced by another crime-fighting partner for the other. Given that the story's target audience was generally eight-year-old boys and such lads often worry when a new friend comes into the group that they will no longer be the best friend. These stories continued well through the Silver Age. As I recall, but also the audience grew older and they appeared less frequently. This was a fun story of the kind of everyday standing up to injustice that kids and adults like to see. And I think it was handled very well. Your voice acting really brought it to life. Thank you for that. Thanks, too, for giving us another C.W. McCall song. That was a fun one, and your explanation of how his singing career started was interesting. As always, I look forward to your next episode, and I hope you and yours are safe with so many fires across Canada. Live long and prosper, Dave McIlvaney. Yes, this was written in on June 12th, and uh, as I remember... Uh, I believe I have to go back to even to about May 1st when uh, forest fires were abounding throughout the Canadian landscape. Fortunately, and I only say fortunately because uh, in past years that has not been the case, our little area of southwest Alberta uh, did not suffer too much forest fires, but we certainly got the smoke, as did a lot of western or a lot of many parts of the United States, rather. And uh, for those of you who were angry because they had Canadian smoke in the United States, um, I live downwind from Oregon, folks. Don't think you guys don't start playing with firecrackers now and then, too. But anyway, that's enough of that. So thank you once again, Dave McIlvaney. So I also have a short missive here from my podcasting pal, William Dunlavy. You know him better as Billy. Uh, hey, RG, Doc Strange here. Just wanted to stop by and say I really enjoyed this episode. That's the uh, episode 43. This has to be one of the best story names I've ever heard. Bullets for breakfast sounds awesome. Keep up the work. Good work. Cheers. And if you don't know, Billy Dunleavy is the uh, maven behind Magazines and Monsters podcast, which I think releases a podcast about every 10 minutes or so. Um, Billy does a lot of work on horror and, of course, on Marvel books from the 1950s. And uh, let's see, he also does the, uh, how does he work it? The Bob Haney, Zany Haney sort of uh, shows as well which I've appeared on a few from time to time and as I've mentioned I believe I have one coming up in there in the future um, Brave and the Bob that's what it is sorry mental moment there for a moment and uh, yeah and I, I always look forward to doing podcasts it's, uh, I usually try to schedule for Saturday or Sunday mornings because it, uh, it just makes for a good thing to have a coffee too 
And we have a new correspondent with Matthew Cody. For those of you who don't know, Matthew Cody is the, uh, the force behind Superman Radio Revisited, which of course is going back to the beginnings of the Superman Radio shows and uh, playing them in the daily shows in its entirety and uh, along with his masterful analysis. So uh, I've just uh, found Matthew's podcast over the summer and he seems to have found mine as I get this little message. Howdy Ranger Gord, as I send this I have enjoyed your first two episodes and plan to keep listening to your great podcast. You mentioned in your second episode to send an email to you if uncertain what prairie oysters were. I have heard of Rocky Mountain oysters and wondering if these are the same delicacy in quotes if i'm not mistaken they are testicles from a boar or a bull not sure if each type of animal counts or if it's exclusive to a certain species i could look it up but that feels like cheating at this point happy trails to you matthew cody well um okay i will reply there's it's not really a scientific term as it were it's pretty much local colloquialisms um, hi, Matt. Prairie oysters, as it's testified into in Alberta, are the testicles of a young bull calf, say around three months. Same as done in the U.S. prairie states, so yes, same name for Rocky Mountain oysters. At branding par- parties, they are breaded and deep fried in a pan. I couldn't say what happens with the hogs. I was never much of a pig farmer. Thanks for the kind words and glad you're enjoying. I'm looking forward to the fall when I have more time to listen to your Superman cast. And <laughs> yes, I subscribe to too many podcasts, folks. But um, I've, I'm coming up with a system of rotation. And uh, what I've heard so far, Matthew, is uh, really exceptional and really well done. And in looking ahead, I see you're working, doing some work on the Lone Ranger. So, Hyo Silver. Lone Ranger is one of my jams, as you can probably imagine. Thank you, Matt. Now, and just getting back to Dave McIlvaney, he also sent uh, seven, no less than seven, um, pieces of feedback on these last uh, leading comics that we did. And I want to say that that's number four sorry i'm not looking at it right now but i think it's leading comics number four in the seven part mini series that i usually do um, regarding the leading comics quarterly issues when they come up into my uh, continuity indexing as it were now what i'll do dave is i believe i will save that feedback for when i do the next round uh leading comics number five so I'll use that feedback in that corresponding podcast. Thank you, Dave. Well, that's going to do it, folks. Tune in next time. If there ever is a next time, and you never know when that next time will be, so keep that dial tuned to Prairie Justice, the Greg Sounders Vigilante Podcast. Happy trails, folks. In the corner of a dark bar room Said a little cowboy singing western tunes Singing songs that he learned as a child All about the west back when it was wild
So long, partners. You've been listening to Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. All materials used in Prairie Justice are believed to be of fair use and remain the copyright of all copyright holders. Stories, images, and the character of Greg Saunders, the Vigilante, and all other characters used are the property of DC Comics and DC Entertainment. Feedback for Prairie Justice can be left on Facebook under the name Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. Email can go to vigilantecast at gmail.com. Website is www.rangergordsroundup, all one word, at .wordpress.com. And we sure hope to see you all back again for another ride with the Cowboy Crusader. Vaya con Dios, compadres, eh? Because he's the last of the same.